After a surprisingly slow performing year, Kohl's is adding new in-store initiatives to help refresh its brand image. Customers can expect more curated displays and athletic wear options coming to store this fall. Discount apparel retailer Ross moves full speed ahead as it races to grow to 2,400 stores. And this just in, German discount grocer Aldi is giving the American grocery market a run for its money. Aldi is now the third largest grocery store in the United States. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, October 21st, and this is your Retail Rundown. Our guests today include Peter Fader and Sanford Stein. Peter is a professor at marketing at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Besides his regular research and teaching activities, he's co-founded two firms to commercialize his work on customer valuation. One named Zodiac was sold to Nike last year, and he continues to run the other Theta Equity Partners. And his recent book, The Customer Centricity Playbook, was recently named by Digital Book World as the top business book of 2019. Congratulations, Peter. Thanks. That's excellent. Our next guest, Sandy Stein, is a retail expert who has spent over three decades providing consumer insight and trend analysis for the world's leading brands. He's the founder and moderator of Retail Speak on LinkedIn and the author of Retail Schmetail. He's also a regular contributor at Forbes. Peter, Sandy, thank you both for joining us today. Delightful to be here. Yes, indeed. So we're going to go over a few hot topics in the news. The first one is our good friend Kohl's. So they're gearing up for the holidays. They've made some recent announcements. And similar to Macy's story concept, they're planning on rolling out Curated by Kohl's, which is something that will go to 50 of its stores. And it features six key brands that they will rotate out. So right now they're including lingerie maker Adore Me and indie card maker Love Pop. Those really cool cards that are 3D. They're also testing out an outfit bar that's going to be about 600 square feet. And they're pairing some merchandise along with styled mannequins that make it easier to show shoppers what kind of ensembles they can put together and buy, you know, a whole outfit at a time. So they're making a lot of changes. Their chief merchandising officer, Doug Howe, told CNBC that he wants Kohl's to be a pipeline of, quote, newness and, quote, discovery for its customers. Sandy, do you see Kohl's stores winning back maybe some of the younger customers? And what are some challenges that you think Kohl's is facing with its front facing end? I'd love to believe that Kohl's has the ability to uh, drive a millennial customer into the store. Unfortunately, the statistics suggest that they've got some heavy lifting. Their customer is um, older than either Macy's or JCPenney. I think they've talked about some interesting, thoughtful ideas. I think Michelle's a good leader for them, but I think that they've got some real challenges. The big picture, their Amazon initiative has been a good one, I think is driving traffic. I don't know that that's converting. Some of the things that they've talked about, such as the Outfit Bar and some of the new brands are good, but I think things like Outfits on mannequins have become table stakes a long time ago, and Target is doing it very well in every one of their categories. And I think that, unfortunately, Kohl's, I think, is behaving more like uh, these are tactics rather than larger strategy. I did visit uh, a number of the Kohl's stores the last several days. I'm not yet seeing any indication that there's any 
freshening up, I feel, unfortunately, compared to what Target is doing with their new prototype. The Kohl's stores seem crowded, a little bit disorganized, mm-hmm. uh, and they're uh, filling their drive aisles full of product uh, <laughs> as we're getting near the holidays, which to me seems a bit desperate. It's just not as open and shoppable as it should be. So I think they have a fair amount of work to do, and I'm not sure they have the financial wherewithal to do the kind of fundamental reimagining of their brand that I think Mm -hmm. uh, may be necessary. Fair enough. Uh, Peter, do you agree that it's a bit, maybe almost a a desperate attempt when you look at the big competitors? I I agree with a lot of what Sandy is saying, uh, especially his point that they're doing a lot of tactical things that, that aren't necessarily connected with each other, not necessarily strategic. But some of those tactics that they're trying are really bold. I mean, we have to acknowledge, like, let's start with the Amazon one. I mean, beyond the headlines that it got, that's a pretty bold move. So at least they're not being too defensive. It would be great if there was some vision behind it all. But if a couple of these tactics can hit, and if they can then eventually find some strategic connection to say, oh, yeah, that's what we were thinking about in the first place, I'm a bit more upbeat about their prospects than what Sandy was conveying. But there's no doubt that there's a a tremendous amount of risk and a lot of these things they're going to try aren't necessarily going to work. I think that the Amazon move was a very bold and I think a very interesting one. I've said for some time that I believe ultimately they could well be taken over by Amazon. It might be a, a very interesting next step for Amazon in terms of becoming the uh, retailer. And I know that the strategy has yielded footfall. People are coming into Kohl's to avail themselves of the free returns with Amazon. I have tried it myself. And unfortunately, while the technical aspect of the return it works very, very swiftly. And all, all that Amazon has provided is fluent and effective. Uh, I waited 20 minutes in line because mm-hmm. they were just not providing the number of support people. So, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. It's good, but it's something that they might not have been prepared for in terms of just dealing with uh, the number of, uh, of returns. And That's I interesting. Admit, uh, I was wrong about the Amazon thing. I, I was very skeptical. I guess I still am to some extent saying it's a, a different kind of audience, a different kind of uh, experience and everything. And that in some sense, it was Amazon almost using Kohl's mm. in the same way that they've used Toys R Us and Borders <laughs> and other companies that they then eviscerated. Yeah. It's still early, but it has been much more successful for Kohl's than I would have imagined. So got to give them credit for it. Yeah, it's driving traffic. The question is, is it creating conversion? And I'm a bit skeptical uh, about that. But hopefully the numbers will prove that to be success. Definitely. And I will jump in that I read on an article recently. It was reported that the CEO, I think just at an event or something, told some of the attendees that they're seeing about 80% of customers returning an Amazon package at their store are also shopping after they drop off the return. However, I think um, Kohl's reached out officially and said that that number, they haven't actually released any official data to the public. So it will be interesting to see when they finally do. Yeah, I read that too. And I kind of smiled (laughs) a little 
bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's that's really high. I, they could only hope that the, that is the case. I I'm a bit uncertain about that. A little skeptical. Well, whatever works, you know, got to stay positive. There's so much going on, and I do tip my hat to Coles because it seems like they are trying to come up with some creative solutions. There's reports that are also looking into Facebook to see what products are trending, try to bring those into their beauty checkout platform. So some interesting stuff. We'll have to see where they go. But uh, I like hearing both your thoughts and even on the points that you disagreed a little bit. So any more on Kohl's before we go and jump into Ross? I think Kohl's will benefit from what is, to me, ultimately uh, the likelihood of J.C. Penney's demise. I think that mm. there's there's some crossover there. They do have a very loyal customer. They do do a very good job with their loyalty points programs. And the fact that they're off mall is probably the biggest benefit they have going for them right now and that they're not dependent on mall traffic, which is just continuing to fall. So they're in a better position. It's a matter of what they do with those stores and whether they can find the money they need to make the kinds of investments that are more strategic and forward-looking and move from a kind of a tactical to a more strategic play. Agreed, agreed. And Peter, you agree, maybe even on the JCPenney point that they're following in a a bit of their footsteps? Absolutely. I think they're in a a very good position to to kind of um, pick up some of that business. And again, I think their locations, that's a very big plus. That was a strategic decision they made a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's already been paying off, but I think the best is yet to come on, on that particular issue. Absolutely. Well, thank you both. I'm going to jump into Ross. The news is that Ross is on track to open 100 locations this year. So in just the last two months, they've already opened 48 new stores across the United States. And that brings their current total footprint to over 1,800 stores. So pretty significant for Ross. And while the apparel sector is facing more store closings, is this something that is a smart move for Ross um, you know, they continue to forge ahead with top line sales increases of six and a half percent last quarter. So financially doing somewhat well. Peter, is this something that you see as a positive thing for Ross to keep growing with a goal of 2,400 stores within the next couple of years? You know, it's really hard to say because it's easy to be very critical about Ross and, I'm, and I will do so in, in a minute. <laughs> But they keep surprising investors and other uh, outsiders. They keep beating earnings forecasts. They've been doing it for, I think, something like 12 or 13 quarters in a row. And that's really hard to do. So we're not necessarily in the right position to look at them and size them up because they keep coming up with more than, than anyone would expect out of them. But having said that, that's a lot of stores. I got to give them credit for uh, kind of zigging when everyone else is zagging. Uh, but at some point, too much is too much. And I worry about Ross, where they are in the subsector that everyone associates with them. People put them in that treasure hunt category along with TJX and others. I don't think they really belong there. I think you go into a Ross store, uh, and Sandy just said it with respect to Kohl's, but I think it's much worse with Ross. Those stores are a mess. They're yeah. <laughs> kept up very badly. There's very few people working there. I think whatever success they're finding is because they are truly a rock-bottom discount retailer. So people are going there for the bargains. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's just a very different positioning, very different vibe, and perhaps a very different customer 
than those who are looking for the more treasure hunt, experiential sort of thing. That's not what Ross is all about. So the good news, the silver lining to that is that recession that's going to be inevitably hitting us, uh, if they stay with that kind of positioning, then actually they're in in, in a good spot to do well. And maybe having more stores will be a good thing. Once the treasure hunt bubble fades or the next fad comes along, just to say, look, we're just a discount retail. You get, you know, reasonable stuff cheap. Um, maybe that's the right position for them, but I still think it's probably too many stores. So maybe they're tipping a scale just too much, but you are noticing that they're having some success and they continue to surprise us a little bit. Sandy, are you in agreement that they are not a, a treasure hunt retailer? And as long as they stick to the bottom bargain deal, they'll be all right? I agree with uh, everything that Peter said. And uh, my concern for any retailer that is price only is that it's not a good place to be anymore that the customer is increasingly recognizing the difference between price and value and when you look at what tjx is able to do with constantly bringing in new product getting great turns not elegant stores by any means, but very shoppable and very very appealing. I think a retailer that is only talking price, you know, that's the chase to the bottom that nobody wins, that's a hard game anymore because anybody that's doing price well is also doing value. And value goes beyond just price. And it includes the customer experience. It includes the ease of shopping. And while I agree with Peter that a recession will help a price-driven retailer, the most successful low-price retailers are offering more than just a low price. They're offering value in other areas that differentiate them. That's an interesting perspective. So just along with the whole trend of retail becoming more about the experience. The one thing I will point out that just probably because I was reading all about the resale market to prepare for an interview the other day, but it's growing 21 times faster than the retail apparel market has over the past three years. It was at 24 billion last year. It's going to reach 51 billion by 2023 is the prediction. And I'm just wondering, will, you know, some of these secondhand managed marketplaces or peer-to-peer like Poshmark, if that will eat into some of Ross's potential success? Well, it has to. I mean, it can't can't be good for them. And then you throw in not just the resale, but the rentals, the subscription, which is, you know, all the Mm -hmm. cool kids are doing these days with, with apparel. So there are definitely uh, issues out there that I don't think Ross can respond very well to. But like I said, they they keep surprising us amidst uh, all kinds of other turmoil happening in the industry. So hard to count them out. Absolutely. I would agree that retail resale is the next big thing that's going to disrupt. (laughs) And it's already... expected to outperform fast fashion within less than uh, 10 years, which is uh, an extraordinary notion. But it does play very well with a millennial consumer that's interested in sustainability that really is living a different belief system from the shop till you drop days of the past. And the resale will continue to affect companies like Ross. Both very good points. And I think we covered a good mix of perspectives really on Ross's moves. 
The next retailer we'll talk about is actually a grocery retailer. It's Aldi. So they're actually a European grocery retail chain. They're a major disruptor in our local American grocery market. Uh, they're now on track to become our third largest super chain market in the U.S. behind Walmart and Kroger, so pretty significant. And their shopping experience is sort of based on do it, find it yourself, um, which is much different than some of the other you know, more boutique stores that we see in local markets. And despite their little customer service and the fact that they virtually do no coupons, they're joining other limited assortment grocers like Trader Joe's, which are forecasted to rise significantly through 2023 with revenue. So Sandy, in the retail climate that seems preoccupied with quality and service and experience, do you think Aldi is the exception to the rule when it comes to price outweighing the experience? And this kind of relates back to the raw stuff we were just talking about. So I think that Aldi is hitting on every uh, cylinder. (laughs) (laughs) They are an incredibly efficient machine. And I think it's more than just low price that they're leveraging. And as you suggested, that limited assortment concept in grocery is um, growing at 11 times that of the traditional supermarket chains. And most of the traditional supermarket chains are trying to find smaller and smaller prototypes that are more efficient. Unfortunately for them, Aldi being the eighth largest retailer in the world has strength in uh, purchasing that is difficult to deal with for some of the other players. They are doing so many things that make that shopping experience efficient. They've got 90% of their product is private label. They only do about a single skew of every product in the store. It's an edited offering, and you can't overstate the fact that choice has been a problem. There's a dichotomy, and you know, we, we have too many choices in too many stores, which has created a problem for many different retailers. And the Trader Joe's and the Aldi's and even the Costco's have eliminated or edited down the choice offering that is working for them. And it enables them to do in the able in the area of between seven hundred and eight and thirteen hundred products compared to a Walmart grocer that has thirty thousand products. Wow. So you can imagine just by that kind of editing and the fact that it's a single skew and the fact that they're turning product faster than anybody else, that they are able to move a lot more product through those stores. And they've developed a level of efficiency that is really mind-boggling. They've got every single side of their packages have a barcode on it. And that Hmm. enables that person (laughs) to move that stuff through there really, really quickly. It's foolproof, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, it, it really is. The stores are clean and fresh and open and the product mix changes constantly. There's a little bit of a treasure hunt going on there like Costco. Not quite to that level, but it is a factor because the, the mix is always is changing. Another thing that's really interesting has been noted by some of the other commentators is that if you follow an Aldi shopper, they shop the entire store. They're not coming in for a thing and running out. They really do make their way through the whole venue to get a feel for what's there. 
They have less hours than most of the other stores. They're paying their managers somewhere between 25 and 75% more, more than most other retailers. So they really have a, a machine here that is going to continue to grow while conventional grocery retailing is uh, generally in decline. It's an amazing concept. And at 1,900 stores now in 36 states, they're going to continue to grow and they're going to continue to take share, I think, from a lot of the big ones. When you look at Kroger, which is the second largest grocery retailer behind Walmart, Kroger has 2,800 stores, but they are in 28 different chains. Now, you can just imagine the relative complexity of a company like Kroger supporting 28 different chains and the efficiency that an Aldi has of being able with 1,900 stores to have every one of these stores pretty much identical and push that amount of product through them, even with lower margins. So they're, uh, they're on a roll, and uh, they're going to continue to disrupt uh, grocery in the United States. He said it well. His, <laughs> his Certainly. offer, Aldi, um, I couldn't agree more. For a lot of Americans... They're still on the periphery because they're still growing. They're still not nearly as, as visible as, let's say, a Kroger or a Walmart. But for those who know Aldi, they don't even need that much experiential stuff in the store because it's like a religious experience just going mm-hmm. in there. <laughs> that whole idea, you have to put the quarter in the slot to get the cart. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a hassle. That's a terrible, stupid thing for any other <laughs> store. But for Aldi, it makes the whole thing better. You know, if, if they it's on if brand they took that away, exactly. <laughs> if they took that away, you'd feel worse about it. And the <laughs> idea that you could then you know give your card to someone else uh, and and you save them a quarter or whatever. There's a real community there, and Sandy said it well. It's it's the alignment of strategy and tactics. We're talking about Coles and Ross and so on, where there, there's some confusion there and issues about competition and a, a lot of what they're doing is just to kind of either follow or preempt others. Aldi is marching to their own beat. And no one else can maintain that kind of cadence. It's not a matter of just cutting prices. It's not a matter of having the, whatever they call it in the middle, the Isle of Dreams. <laughs> These are things that only an Aldi can pull off, and they're doing so spectacularly well. And I think the best is yet to come as they become uh, truly ubiquitous in the minds of all Americans. I agree with Peter 100%. Absolutely, and thank you both for bringing some stats around that. Like Sandy, like you said, 90% of their product is private label. You also mentioned they pay their managers 25 to 75% more and just everything that that leads to the operational efficiencies you were talking about. It's huge value prop. And then Peter, just with their strong brand image and where they're headed, there's still a lot of room to grow in the eyes of our market and potentially other markets. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about a lot of retail disruption and very often it's some itty bitty little digitally native company that's nipping at the heels and getting maybe punching above their weight and getting more attention than they deserve. <laughs> but this is a giant company. And for them to be doing this in such a agile and unique manner, I mean, yeah. it is, again, Sandy used the word, big time disruption and one that it's not clear that U.S. grocers are going to be able to recover from. Another advantage that they have that's really unique and 
places them in a wonderful position is because these stores are as small as they are, it enables them to uh, seek out real estate that a uh, Kroger or certainly Walmart couldn't even consider. One of the newest stores, they're opening two stores virtually the same time in, in Minneapolis. And one of their newest stores is in a very dense urban area of South Minneapolis, ground level of a new apartment building. And the demographic in the area, the walkability, everything that plays today in terms of really having a devoted, dense customer base right in the foot of that building gives them an opportunity to go so many places that a bigger grocery retailer that has to depend on either suburban or very expensive urban real estate, these guys can take advantage and be places that just are unique to them and really profit by it. Definitely. That was a great example. So yeah, all the big places for them to go, big disruption. I think that it aligns well with the the shifts in consumer behavior, consciousness about healthier foods and the fact that they're able to swap their assortment relatively quickly. Good things. There's also a lot of renovations going on. I don't know if either of you shop at Aldi, but I have one about five minutes away from me. So I go there quite often and they're totally renovating it and making the back room a bit smaller to expand like refrigeration space on the retail floor. So yeah, they're bringing in more fresh product. They're bringing in poultry, meat. They're broadening a little bit. Yes, they are uh, both doing a new prototype, which is really fresh and clean. And I won't say a bit more upscale, but certainly more pleasing. They're definitely a factor. And the one that's coming up behind them now, uh, Little, is also going to be an interesting one to watch because they're another behemoth from off-continent that's going to come in and start to make itself known on the heels of uh, what uh, Aldi has done. Although so far, they're entering into the U.S. hasn't really gone that well. They opened up a bunch of stores here in the East Coast, and I think they've had to step back and rethink it a little bit. So it is kind of interesting that from an American's perspective, we're just looking at these European grocers and saying, eh, right. they're all the same. Um, but <laughs> watch them come on over here and, and start to execute, and we start to see some of those differences. And you know, some of the tactics work, some won't. Sure. Uh, so I think that the, the jury's out on little, but, uh, but Aldi is clearly a big success and by no means is it transient they're here to stay yeah i agree absolutely will be interesting to see if little does big things or not Um, i haven't actually been to one yet but i am seeing them come up in a few news reports so i think that wraps it up what do you guys think um this is most enjoyable julie i appreciate it and it was a fun being on with peter Uh, yes it's always great to share some ideas you know sometimes align sometimes we'll we'll see things a little differently but there's just nothing better than sitting around and talking about retail. It's just such an incredibly exciting time. We'll look back at these comments a few years from now and think they're positively quaint, but <laughs> here looking forward, uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy world out there. And it's, it's fun for us as experts to be able to look at it and ponder for those in the trenches uh, a little bit tougher. That's right. Absolutely. And like you said, Peter, you guys are the experts and I so much enjoy hearing your thoughts about all the changes occurring in the industry. And for our listeners out there, if you are also a retail expert, influencer, or in the space uh, with a retail brand, please reach out and we'll have you on the rundown. Thanks both for joining the show. Great, Julia. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. 
that's this week's retail rundown. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.